Well, good morning. <clears throat> if you have a Bible with you, uh, open it to uh, Psalm 23. Uh, if you have a handheld device, you can go to uh, BibleGateway.com or something and read it there, or uh, I'm sure you can find it. And uh, since we don't have any technology today, if you want that reinforcement to actually see the text yourself. <clears throat> The words of uh, Becky Martin. This is the season of come near and go away. This is the season of gratitude and weariness, of hello and goodbye. This is the season I desire to be needed and invisible, to move on and hold back, to run with abandon and to hide under the covers. A lot of conflicting feelings in life these days. One of my coworkers got COVID uh, this week and was out of the office all week. It's pretty typical that uh, we have ongoing issues like that that just seem to go on and on. I had a cartoon years ago from the New Yorker, and uh, it was uh, a man on one page holding up a sign that says, the end is near. And on the other page, a man holding up a sign that said, it will just go on and on and on. <clears throat> and I've thought about that with COVID so many times. Uh, it just seems like it just goes on and on and on. The 23rd Psalm starts with an inscription at the beginning. It says, it just simply says, a Psalm of David. So we know that David wrote it. We don't know exactly when he wrote it. Uh, my opinion is that he wrote it late in his life as he's reflecting back over his life, as he was thinking about God and his relationship with God. But by far, I think if you talk to uh, people about uh, passages in the Bible that they treasure, maybe have on their wall at home, maybe have been great comfort to them in times of loss or, or sorrow, I think the 23rd Psalm uh, is probably quoted at more funerals than anything else in the Bible. Uh, in the life of David, we know that he was a, a boy a shepherd when he started his life. But it isn't just men who were shepherds. And if you look in uh, Genesis 20, uh, 29, 9, it tells us that Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. So we know that famous women as well as men in the Bible uh, served in that role. But in the first verse, uh, David starts off and says, the Lord is my shepherd. Listen to the personal pronouns. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Years ago, there was a big argument. They were putting out a new hymnal, and they were arguing over this song in the garden because in the garden, uh, one of the people on the committee said, well, it's just too, too, you know, too many personal pronouns. I mean, I come to the garden alone while they do it. You know, he walks with me, he talks with me. You know, it's just too much centered on one individual. It really isn't like a worship song for a room. Of, and one of the people in the room just read this in response. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. And that was the end of the discussion. Uh, it was Martin Luther who said that uh, uh, the heart of religion is found in the personal pronouns. And we hear that certainly from David here. I guess uh, uh, the assertion I'd like to begin with is just a simple statement. Here it is. You need a shepherd. Well, you might say, why? I'm not a, you know, I, I'm not a sheep. Why do I need a shepherd? 
Well, David, you know, gives us some great reasons why. Uh, Isaiah, by the way, says, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. You know that verse? All of us, like sheep, it says we have left God's paths to follow our own way. Uh, You ever get in trouble because you thought you knew more than God did? And you thought you had a better way of doing things? And you learned to live to regret it? Uh, it, it's in the nature of sheep to wander away, Dr. Wiersbe writes. That's why they need a shepherd. But it's in our nature too. In Ezekiel 34, 11, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and I will look after them. So, and not just is he a shepherd, but you need a shepherd. And the question is, is he your shepherd? Because uh, in a strange way, that's a relationship that you as quote-unquote, the sheep have to choose to be part of. Uh, In the end of verse 1, he says, I have everything I need. That's kind of the title for the sermon, everything I need. Now, you'll notice something very important. It does not say, I have everything I want. It does not say, I have everything I ask for. It does not say, thank God, I I, I want everything I deserve. It says, I have everything that I need And God has said repeatedly in Scripture that he'll help us and he'll meet our needs. In John chapter 10, verse 14, uh, I am the good shepherd. By the way, I I think what I'll I'll do for you, since we don't have access to see any of this, is I'll just uh, give it to the church office and maybe they can put the the PowerPoint thing on, on the website somewhere so you can look up these references so you don't have to try to write them all down now, okay? Does that make sense? Hello, anybody home? Hello? Does that make sense? Thank you. Uh, You know, help a brother out, okay? You know? Uh, You know, how can guys go to a Seahawks game and be so loud and so engaged and then in church, I don't know. It happens, uh, John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, one of those great I am statements in John's gospel. But then at the end he says, uh, I sacrifice my life for my sheep. What's one of the greatest needs you have? Forgiveness, cleansing, the blood of Jesus Christ which washes away all your sin, the ability to have an eternal life through his resurrection that never ends. I mean, that's pretty good stuff that he offers to you. And sometimes it was uh, Max Lucado said, God is so touched by what he sees that he gives us what we need and not simply that for which we ask. Now, uh, sheep are not totally without value. Uh, You know, I mean, my mother, we grew up a lot. My father liked leg of lamb once in a while, so I, I know they have some food value. But you know, if you look up, it's an interesting thing. One of the most valuable things in the world, if it was sold by the ounce, is wool. And wool has, has great value as well. Uh, I don't like sheep, though, because they're dirty. Uh, uh, they stink. Uh, I don't like being compared to one of these. They, they're stubborn. They can't swim. They're very disease-prone. They're filled with anxiety. They're constantly, maybe we are sheep, constantly eating. <laughs> I was reading this week that uh, a horse eats uh, 15 pounds of hay a day. 
It's like, wow, that's a lot of constantly heating. Poor eyesight. They tend to flock together. They, they imitate each other. They're defenseless. They're fearful. Uh, when I was a youth pastor out in Iowa, we had uh, people in the church who raised turkeys. And one night uh, we had a service at the church and it was all of a sudden thunder and lightning outside and a bunch of farmers get up and just run out of the service. And I said, I guess these guys are afraid of lightning or something. I don't know what. It was the turkeys because when the turkeys get scared, they all pile on top of each other until they suffocate each other because they, they can't breathe. And it's a little bit like that with sheep. They tend to herd together so so close sometimes that it's almost a damaging kind of a thing. It says, um, for those fearful, anxiety-prone beasts, not unlike us, that he lets me rest, verse 2, in green meadows. I woke up 4.30 this morning. Uh, I'm leaving, uh, let's see, Wednesday morning. I got a 6 o'clock flight out of SeaTac. I fly to Chicago and then Chicago to Frankfurt, Germany, Frankfurt, Germany to Tallinn, Estonia. I hate flying. I know some of you work at Boeing. I love you anyway. I hate flying. And I got to go in, a, you know, 14 hours in planes and another five hours in layovers. And I'm like, oh, Lord, please. And then I get there. It's a 10-hour time change. Uh, it's just, uh, it takes a lot out of an old man to do all of that. And I've been doing it for 25 years now. Uh, and it uh, is always challenging. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about all the things I had to do to get ready for that trip. Do you know that statistically, 64% of teenagers say that their poor school performance is based on lack of sleep? Well, if you get to bed, at, okay, no. Uh, researchers say the most severe cases of sleeplessness occur between the ages of 30 to 40. That surprised me. But it doesn't surprise me that the condition impacts 50% of people over 65. And yet in Exodus 33, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Hebrews talks an awful lot, the book of Hebrews, about entering into God's rest and God's peace. And a lot of us, frankly, need to, to learn that. I, again, I don't know what, what your life is like, but, you know, generally people tell me the truth. They're afraid to lie to a minister. And I find there's an awful lot of people who I dearly love who are on antidepressants these days. And a lot of people who maybe aren't on them that probably need them. And there are a lot of people who have all the other kinds of self-medication they, they enter into, not always helpful, not always healthy, to try to calm uh, what's going on inside of their psyche. And, you know, we need to be able to find God's rest. It says, he leads me beside peaceful streams. Rest, peace. He, he wants to bring us to that place in life where we can enjoy that and enter into that. In Isaiah, he said, uh, Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. You will keep, Jesus said to us, I'm going to give you something the world cannot take away. I'm going to give you my peace. The peace which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and mind in Jesus Christ. Peace, rest, over and over again. 
then why is it so, so much fear? Why so much anxiety? Why so much inner struggle at times that goes on? Maybe you need a shepherd. It says in, in uh, verse uh, 3, he renews my strength. He renews. He, he makes it new again. He gives me the strength that I need in a fresh way. Uh, it tells us in 2 Corinthians uh, 4, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So he renews us, it says, at the core of who we are. In, in our inner renewal is what happens. And it says that he guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. It was uh, John uh, Bunyan who wrote, he that is humble shall have God to be his guide. And it takes humility to turn to God and ask him for his guidance. But invariably in life, you will come to that fork in the road. You know, who should I go out with? Who should I marry? Which job should I take? Which house should I buy? Where should I live? You know, what car should I, should I get? I mean, there's like a gazillion decisions you've got to make in your lifetime. And, and you need to have someone who can help you in that. You need a shepherd to help you as you make all of those decisions in life. Uh, remember, it was Yogi Berra's uh, very famous quote, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. You know, well, it's, it's not, not, not quite that easy. Uh, you need guidance. One of my favorite prayers... I was going to have you read this, but I can't do that now, but I'm, I'm just going to read it. And I'd like you just to, to have an attitude of prayer. I'd like you to kind of bow your heads, and I'd like you to kind of echo these words with me that were written by Thomas Merton. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may not know anything about it. Therefore, I will trust you always Though I may seem to be lost in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. The, the prayer line I like the best is, I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And that's the kind of people we want to be. Verse 4, even when I walk through the dark valley of death, it says it's a dark valley, death, and it is. It's interesting that if you study, there have been several books written in the last couple of years about people who have, quote-unquote, died and then come back to life again. Uh, one of the ones that got me was a man who actually died, and he was uh, downstairs uh, in the coroner's office, and, and six hours after, quote-unquote, he died, he, he, he comes up on this white sheet. Can you imagine how the people felt uh, uh, downstairs in the morgue when they saw this guy come back to life again? And it's interesting that of the 4,200 Christians who've had those experiences, they all say the same thing. 
the one thing they all have agreed on is that the one memory they have was just how intense the light was when that moment of leaving this world behind came. They were not in a dark valley anymore. Uh, Jesus told a story about the rich man and the, and the man who, who had the leprosy, and the leper dies, and I, I've always taken great comfort in this. It says, when the leper died, Jesus' words, the angels of God were there to take him. I never worry about what's going to happen the minute I die because Jesus told me the minute I die, his angels are going to be there to watch over me. Now, I know it says in the Bible that he gives his angels charge over us in everything we do. So one of the things I did a few years ago was I decided to give my angels names, and since they usually look like boys, it says in the Bible, mine are called Jack and Larry. And I thank God for Jack and Larry, who he gives to watch over me and care for me, but it makes them more real to me that they have names. You get that? And I don't know, you know, but I believe that Jack and Larry, who are watching over me in my daily life, are going to watch over me the day that this life is over. You've been through as a church the dark valley of death. Loss, separation, grief, pain. What happens next, the questions, the, all the things that go with it. We all go through dark valleys. Failure, broken relationships, getting fired, sickness, death, financial failure, all kinds of valleys of dark valleys we go through. Robert Kennedy was running for president years ago, and he was speaking to a crowd of black people down in Mississippi. And the Secret Service, who were protecting him, gave him a little note card that said that Martin Luther King Jr. had just been shot and killed. And he's looking out at this whole sea of black faces and wondering how he has to tell these people this. And so he began to talk about how painful it was when his brother was shot and killed in Dallas. And he talked about grief and how grief was for them as a family. And then at the end, he quoted this poem by the Greek poet Aeschylus. Even in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own despair, against our will, comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. That poem has made me think several times in my life about those words, the awful grace of God. It was the awful grace of God that took my father-in-law in January. It was the awful grace of God that maybe took somebody that you cared about and loved deeply as a pastor. It was the awful grace of God, which is sometimes difficult for us to accept and to embrace but it is, in its way, God's love and kindness to us, more than we deserve, or maybe even more than we want, that comes to us through all of those dark valleys that we go through in life. But it says at the end of that verse, I will not be afraid in the dark valley because you are close beside me. Isaiah 40, he will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. John 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me. No one can snatch them from my hand. 
Hebrews 13, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And when you're going through the roughest day in your life, and you're not even sure you want to see another day, he will be there. And David said, and he will be close beside you. He will not keep you at arm's length. He will be close with you in all of those terrors, in all of those fearful moments, in all of those struggles in life. You are never alone. You're never alone. I, uh, oh, I feel alone. That's a lie. Don't believe the lie. It doesn't matter how you feel. He promises you over and over again in the Bible that he's going to be with you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. You either believe it or you don't in the dark times when they come. Security system. What do you give the person who has everything? And the answer is a security system. Because they're scared to death they're going to lose it all. He says, your rod and your staff protect me, comfort me. Rod and staff were both made from the same thing, roots of trees. But they're very different. A rod was a straight thing that had a, a real, like a, a hard ball at the end. It could almost, it could be used like a club, but good shepherds actually would use it also like a spear because it had this almost rock hard end on it that they could use as a weapon to protect sheep with. The staff on the other side was that thing you think of with shepherds, that long stick with the crook on it, with the, the end of it that's curved over. And uh, shepherds would use those for a lot of things, for pushing things around and stuff. But one of the things was there, were, there was a, a thing called a, a, a sheep that's a cast, a cast sheep. And a cast sheep is one that has fallen over on its side or its back, and because it's, you know, gotten all fattened up over time or it's got all this wool and everything, it can't get back on its feet. We, we have a word, downcast, you know, that kind of comes from that kind of a root. And the idea of the staff was it was a way that a shepherd would help that sheep get back on its feet again. It says there are times he protects you and guards you and protects you from enemies. I like the story about the pastor who was in court and uh, he was representing the church in a lawsuit and the uh, the, uh, the attorney for the other side was trying to make fun of him, says, hey, that's, uh, what do I call you? Do I call you pa pastor? That's an interesting word. It, it kind of like means, you know, shepherd and everything. So how are the sheep going today? You know, what are you doing to help the sheep today? And he said, well, today I'm fighting off the wolves. You know, uh, protection is such an important part of what we need from a shepherd. And, and God gives us that. He says, you prepare a feast, verse 5 for me in the presence of my enemies. You remember when David was held captive by the Philistines in Gad? He wrote another whole psalm, I think it was 42, all about that experience of, uh, or maybe it was 56, uh, of what it was like when he was in the presence of his enemies, literally. He had to act like he was crazy to have him sustain his life. He knew that God was with him in those hard times. And then he says, you welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. You know, we have Thanksgiving, and sometimes we're a little grateful to God. We think all we have to be grateful for. It'd be nice if we could think that even today. Even if we could just, on your way to work, thank God for your job. I know it's not easy. Uh, thank God for the people you work with. Thank God for your husband. Thank God for your spouse. Thank God for your kids, even when they're teenagers. 
you know, thank God for all the struggles of life, even the financial pressures of life. I mean, you know, it's difficult to be grateful in all circumstances, but it's all gifts of God in different ways. It says that, that his, he has anointed us. We are anointed with the Holy Spirit, uh, 2 Corinthians 1. He has anointed us. He's identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment, literally as the earnest money, as the down payment on everything else that he has promised to us. And then the last verse. Oh, when I was a boy in church, they said, the last verse we're going to... I get so happy to hear that. <laughs> I thought the verse was, surely goodness and mercy, that it was like three women. Surely goodness and You know, who follow me. What are these women following me all the days of my life for, you know? Well, surely, for, for sure, for certainty I know, God, this, your goodness and your unfailing love, your mercy, your never-failing love will pursue me all the days of my life. It's with you right today. Jesus, Matthew 28, his last real mandate to the disciples to go into all the world he ends by saying, I want you to be sure of this. Notice how he uses the same idea, surety. I want you to be assured of this. I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age, to the ends of the world. I am with you. And he is with us. John 17, Jesus said, Father, I want these you have given me to be with me where I am. You're kidding me, Jesus. You know what a pain in the rectum I am at times? You know, I, I have a lot of friends, and they like to, they know me really well, and they're not afraid to tell me stupid things I do and stuff. They're still my friends. They're honest with me about what they see. And I said to them one time, you know what, I'm old enough, I can tell you what a pain in the neck I am. I'll admit to it. I'll give you a few things you haven't even thought of, you know, yet yourself. And Jesus, you want me with you. I mean, think about that. You want me with you? Forever? Not just for a weekend. Not just for, a, you know, a month. You want me with you forever? Of all the people in this world, you chose me? Of all the people in this church, this world, you loved me? Of all the people you could have died for? You died for all of us, but you, I was the one you gave me the insight into what was going on somehow that other people seemed to miss. Pew study this week said 64% of the people in America are Christians. I don't know what their definition of that is. I think it's probably more like about 20, 25%. And I get to be one of the ones that has eternal life. I get the one who gets to love you. And I will live, David says, in the house of the Lord forever. Revelation 7, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lord, the Lamb, is at the center of the throne and, and will be their shepherd Little interesting plan words. The lamb will be their shepherd. The sacrificial lamb will be their shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. 
and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It was a little young boy who was very sick and dying, terminal disease, no hope for him to live, and he had been told the truth, he knew it. And as he was uh, processing all of that, the pastor came to see him. And the pastor said, I want you to remember this. I want you to take your fingers out. Do this. Take your hand out. The Lord is my shepherd. I want you to think about that. You're not alone. The Lord is my shepherd. And, um, and he prayed with the boy. A while later, the, the, the child passed and after the funeral, the pastor came to meet with the family, make sure they were doing okay. And the, uh, the mother said, we have one mystery that maybe you could solve for us because when we found him dead, he was like this. He was holding on to his ring finger. And the pastor smiled and said, I get it. The Lord is my shepherd, mine can you hold on to that finger right now and thank him that he's yours? He's your shepherd. He'll never leave you. His goodness and mercy will follow you every day of your life. And in all those dark valleys, he will be close beside you. And that's all I have to say about that. Lord, we thank you that you are that kind of a shepherd for us. We pray that you would help us to embrace that in very fresh ways that no matter what we go through in life, even when the projector goes down, even when life is challenging and difficult, even when illness comes and loss and separation, thank you, God, we're not alone. Just put your hands out, will you, in front of you like this? Just put them on your lap. I'd like you to think right now about what is it you're most worried about in your life? What is it you're most afraid of? I'd like you to think of the two things that are the greatest problem for you right now that you're facing in your life. And I'd like you, as you think of one, just put your hand, close your hand around it. You think of another one, close the other hand around it like this. And just keep those hands on your fists. Keep it on your lap. And now I would like you, just as an act of worship, to open those hands and say, God, I give it all to you. I give it all to you right now. I surrender it to your care. And I thank you that you do care about me. So please be my shepherd. Lead me, guide me, and bless me. In Jesus' name, amen.